folks. Nice to have Peter back, isn't it? Whoa, let there be light. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. These guys will be glad to give you one, or a guy. All right, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and he will give you one. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be skipping around in that book today, we're going to be talking about some other stuff, so just find Hebrews 7 and hang on. The timing was really good for what I want to do this week. We finished up our series on the family, and I knew we were going to have the Lord's Supper communion this week, and I was just praying about thinking about what I wanted to do next. And this is something that I've never done in the five years we've been out here, is really preach a sermon on communion. So I thought, well, it would be a great time. The setting was good. The timing was good. Just to talk about this particular element. We're going to talk about New Covenant blood. You look at your handout and you can see the title of it, New Covenant blood. Your Bible is divided into two sections. What are they? Table of contents and no, no, that's not it. What's your Bible divided into? Old Testament and what? All right, Testament, we'll see that word today. It's the same word for covenant. The reason it's divided that way, it's a picture. You have the Old Covenant and then as we're going to celebrate at the end of the day's service together as the body of Christ, we celebrate the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. You notice there on your handout, Leviticus 17.11, part of the old covenant, God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And then Jesus said in Matthew, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Someone has said, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. 427 times in the Bible the blood is talked about. There are 22 sermons in the book of Acts and they're focused on death, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message of the Bible is there's an old covenant. God pictured for them in the blood, the new covenant that would come, the blood of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately knew shame and they knew they had done wrong. God had given them one rule and they broke it. They knew immediately they had violated God's word. They had disobeyed and they felt shame. What does the Bible tell us they did? In their human effort, they tried to what? Cover it up. Notice Leviticus 17:11 again. Upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement. The word atonement means covering. Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame and the result of their sin in their own human efforts. And God said what? No, I ain't going to cut it. That's my Hebrew translation. God said that's not enough. So God brought them skins of animals to cover them there's a great picture there. It begins right there in Genesis 3 with original sin. Where did the skin come from? Somebody had to what? Die. Some animal had to die. Some animal had to spill its blood. An innocent animal had done no wrong. Its blood had to be shed so that Adam and Eve's sin could be atoned for or covered. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? Because Randy Lockley and every other human being that's ever walked planet Earth had a problem. We're sinners. Adam and Eve brought to us a stain, original sin, which was passed on to their children. Their children has been passed on to every child since. We're all born with sin natures. I love people who try to discount the Bible and say it's not true. If you don't believe the Bible, that's fine. If you don't believe people are sinners, just watch them. I love, we've talked about this before, but I love especially with children. How many of you have a child under the age of two? Now, as your children grow, and I love watching my grandchildren, they have good parents. They have good homes. Why is it about A2? They become liars. 
They become deceitful. They're mean. They're selfish. I want what I want. I told you a story a couple weeks ago. I was playing cards with two of my grandchildren, and they always want to go first. It's important to go first. I don't know why, but it's important to go first. So I said, here's what we'll do. I said, I'll hand out a card. Whoever gets the highest card gets to go first. They said, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And the little Emerson, the little six-year-old, five-year-old, soon to be sure, leans over to me, give me, give Ella a two. Now, do you think Beth and Ryan sit around with Emerson and go, now, here's proper way. Now, I do that, but they don't. They want their children. Ella has accepted Christ. Been baptized here a few years ago. She knows Jesus as her Savior. And they, they're, they're rearing Emerson to come one day to accept Christ. We've talked about over the last few weeks how individual children are totally different. Same DNA. But every one of them are sinners. Born with the propensity to be selfish. To do evil. That's what we saw this week. What makes a man walk into a mood and just start killing? People basically good. No, they're sinners. Sometimes it's horrific like that. And sometimes it's self and pride, wanting what I want. But it really doesn't matter. Separated from God, you've got a problem. You're a human being. Problem is, you're a sinner. Sins need to be atoned for. And even in Leviticus, as God was giving the children of Israel his law, bringing them out of bondage in Egypt, and as they were headed to the promised land, he said, now this is the way I expect you to live in the midst of a pagan world. One of the first things he tells them is, understand this, atonement is in the blood. Atonement for your sins, covering for your sins, so that you can be right in the eyes of God is in the blood. And for us as the church, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. You read the Old Testament, it's the picture of the Old Covenant. God laying out for Israel and showing them how grace works. Showing them what the one true God expected from them. How the one true God would redeem them. And he picked for them over and over. But the atonement, the covering, the salvation, the redemption that they desperately needed. You and I desperately need. Need always goes back to the blood. God pictured it for them in the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus came in the new covenant and fulfilled it with his own blood. At the end of today's service, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, you will drink Welch's grape juice. But Jesus said, you are to remember my blood it's for you. Forgive me. And then you are to get up from here and go claim my death till I return. That's the mission of the church. It's to remember that the blood has cleansed us from our sin. And then to tell the rest of the world, you too can know redemption. You too can know atonement. You too can have your sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in whom you could find salvation. That covers it. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, said these words, it is finished. And the term means that this debt is paid in full and it's eliminated. And that's what the blood does. When I'm born again, I am cleared righteous in the eyes of God, not because Randy is a good guy, Randy is a sinner, but because Jesus Christ's blood accomplished that for me, the cross. And God looks down and he said it covers atonement for my soul, that it covers my sin, what Jesus did for me, what he accomplished for me. So what I want to do today is look at his blood in scripture. We're not even going to cover it all. We're just going to hit some highlights. And knowing me, we may not even finish today. But I want us to look at the blood of Jesus Christ, the picture that God has laid out for us, the truth of what it is. See, we believe, and Peter was articulating earlier and talking about the uh, mission trip and, and really did a good job of sharing that picture. We believe as Christians that there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not everybody believes that. Our country, it, we live, as Charles Colson has said, in a post-Christian culture. For us as the church, however, great time, an amazing moment in history where God has said, I place you here. We talked about a few to be light, 
so that they can see the light within you are a lamp that reflects so they can see one God, one mediator, God in the man Christ Jesus who came, who died. And the reason we believe Jesus is the only way a man can know God is that he said it. But the reason that's true, beyond the fact that he said it and proved it with his resurrection, is who he is. But I want us to focus today on not just who he is, although that is inherent in what we're going to talk about, but his blood. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Number one, Jesus' blood is perfect. His blood is perfect. And we all know that we have blood. We all know that that the life is in the blood. We all know that if you lose a certain amount of blood, you're not going to live. You've got to have it replaced. Without blood, there is no life. Jesus' blood is perfect. Our blood is stained by sin. You notice the quotes there I put on your handout. Judas says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas, who spent years with Jesus Christ, spent in close, intimate contact with the Son of God, saw him walk on water, saw him change the molecular structure of, of a, 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 something from water, wine, saw him feed thousands upon thousands of people with one lunch, saw him heal people who had been blind from birth, who had been lame from birth. When Jesus healed somebody, there was no doubt that he was healed, and Judas saw that. Judas saw Jesus do amazing things, heard him teach with an authority they never, had never heard. Just over and over again, he's in close personal contact with the Son of God and saw all of this, and yet when it came down to it, he betrayed him for money. Does that say something about the soul of a human being? He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, and he knew, you see the quote there on your handout, he knew Jesus was what? Innocent, not guilty, not deserving of what he had sold him out for, for it would occur. He was innocent. Judas knew it. Pilate, a pagan, certainly a non-believer, a pagan, said, I find in him no fault. Pilate couldn't understand. He was the most spiritual guy in the arena. They're trying to get him to kill Jesus, and he says, I don't understand. I can't find anything wrong with this man. Why do you Jews want to kill him so badly? He tried not to kill Jesus. I find no fault in him. And Jesus himself said, which of you convicts me sin? Jesus just kind of said, just one more point, boys, before we go through with this. I want you to understand, you can do it, but you know that I've done nothing wrong. There's no sin you convict me of because I have not sinned. His blood was perfect. They didn't des- deny Jesus' miracles. They couldn't deny his life. They, couldn't, they even said he speaks with an authority unknown to any of us. Well, we got to get rid of him. His blood was perfect. Look at Hebrews 7.26. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus Christ, and the context is he's been talking about he's the eternal high priest. He's the unchangeable high priest. He is the superior high priest to anything you would want. He's writing to believing Jews. And in that context, in Hebrews 7.26, he says these words, writes these words. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, talking about Jesus, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. I want you to notice the phrase, the beginning of verse 26, such a high priest was fitting for us. The term, the phrase there, fitting for us in Greek means this. It's a beautiful picture. It means this is the only kind of high priest who could accomplish what we needed. In other words, I had a desperate need. I'm a sinner, and I need my sins paid for so I can have eternal life, so I can have peace, so I can have hope. And now along comes Jesus, who is the only, means unique, he is the only high priest who can fit my need, who can pay my debt, cancel my debt, and give to me eternal life. He's fitting for us as believers. They'd had, and remember he's writing to believing Jews, they had had many high priests. 
Jesus went up before Caiaphas. He went up before Annas. He just, they had had high priest after high priest after high priest. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is superior to all of them. That system was a picture, the old. Jesus is the new. And in his blood, it's fitting because he fits our need. He is the one, the unique one, the only one who could come and do what we needed done because of his blood. In his blood, true atonement. It was covered by the sacrificial as picked by faith, they trust God. But Jesus came and not only covered it, atoned for it, he eliminated it. I'm saved because of what's did. He paid my debt. It was fitting for us. One example of this, and something even theologians call themselves theologians today, want to debate whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not. It's absolutely essential that he was. We've already talked about it. Why is it essential? If he wasn't born of a virgin, then he was born with sin nature because it's past the seed of the Father. But Jesus was born of a virgin. Therefore, he had no sin nature. We'll talk more about what he did in a moment. He's born with perfect blood. He's born with godly blood. He's a 100% God and 100% man. So that when he dies, the term it's used in Hebrews and in other places, propitiation or satisfaction, God says that's enough. We don't need the old and Jesus' sacrifice is enough. But notice how he's described there in verse 26. He's holy. And that's not referring to the fact that his acts were righteous. We'll talk more about that. We'll get to that. But this holy, this word here is referring to his character, not the action, but the fact he was separate. His very character, who he was, who he is, is that he was holy or separate unto God the Father. Every time you see Jesus pray, how do you see him pray? Father, not my will, but yours. I submit to the authority of the Father. Wanted us to see, wanted us to understand. Even as he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours. He done. Submissive, holy. His character was 100% perfect. His blood was perfect. He's also harmless. And that's the total moral purity. Not ritual purity like human beings. Not going through in the motion. But totally, morally, without stains. The next term goes along with that. It's pure. He's saying the same thing in many different ways. He's undefiled. And that Greek word means not stained or dyed. It's like you don't, it's not taking a fabric and dyeing it to something else. He's exactly who he is. Not stained, not defiled in any way. It's completely pure. Separate from sinners. And that means what we talked about a moment ago, the other side of being holy. He's morally pure. He never committed a sin. Never committed a sin. And then it says he's higher than the heavens. And the idea there is that the name, who he is, is the most exalted name in the universe. Philippians talked about it. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will what? Bow and every tongue will confess or agree that he is to the glory of God the Father. Every name, even those that reject him in this life, and the next life will acknowledge that he is Lord. His name, and in that passage, it says his name is exalted to the name that's above all names because he was willing to die, even the death cross. He was willing to spill that perfect blood and be tortured to death. And as a result, he's exalted to the highest name in the universe. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The sinless sacrifice that satisfied God. On your outline, you see 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested or made evident to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Manifest to take away our sins. One of the phrases that you see used in the Old Testament quoted is that God removes them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. Why? Because Jesus had taken away the cross. He atoned and he eliminated. Atoned for and eliminated my debt. Cause of who he is, because his blood is perfect. Secondly, Turn to Hebrews 9, verse 12. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Blood's not only perfect, but it's also pure. Hebrews 9, 12. 
Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? His blood is absolutely pure. Notice how he puts it in Hebrews 9, verse 12. Not with the blood of, co- boat, of goats and or boats, the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. The most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies, was the inner sanctum of the tabernacle and the inner sanctum of the temple later. And when Jesus died on the cross, remember the story in the Gospels, it says the veil, which was the curtain that kept everybody out of the holiest, Holy of Holies except the high priest on the Day of Atonement, that it was torn in two. This very book, Hebrews, talks about the veil for our access to God. The veil is not a curtain for us. It's the flesh of Jesus Christ. In a moment, we will share the Lord's Supper together. We're celebrating, talking about his blood today. The veil is the other element, it's flesh. He gave his body that we might have eternal life. He shed his blood, we might have forgiveness of sin and be redeemed. Notice how it's put. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Why? Because his own blood is pure. The blood of goats and calves was God's picture. The the, uh, uh, Holy of Holies represented the presence of God and the mercy seat was the the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the lid where they sprinkled the blood, the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the nation, but he also had to sprinkle blood for his own sin. The high priest did. Jesus had no sin. That was a picture. The blood of goats and calves. But Jesus comes with his blood into the presence of God. Notice verse 12, really important. See the phrase, once for all? You see that? The high priest had to go in there year after year after year to make atonement. Jesus went once at the end of age, once for all. It fulfilled all that they had done, and it finalized the sacrifice. No longer necessary because Jesus satisfied. Notice what he obtained, verse 12. Having obtained what type of redemption? I want everybody to look at your Bible and tell me. What type of redemption did he obtain? We're pretty excited about that, aren't we? Eternal versus what? Temporal. Eternal. Not necessary to do it next year. He finished it. It is finished. He obtained eternal redemption by what he did on the cross when he shed his blood. Notice verse 13. For with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, all that they did in the ceremony sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Notice that phrase. How much more, repeated several times in Hebrews, shall the blood of Christ offered himself cleanse your conscience. I want you to see this picture because it's really important. It's almost a summary of what this means. The high priest would go in there with David told him and he would do it for the, for the sins of the people, known and unknown, confessed and unconfessed, for their sins. Ritual cleansing of the flesh. Do you see that, verse 13? But he had to do it again, right? The next year, whoever the high priest was, had to do it for the cleansing of the flesh to be pure before God, clean. But notice verse 14. Jesus did it for a cleansing of what? Not the flesh, but the conscience. See that? Yes, they were being obedient to God. Yes, they were trusting God and by faith doing what God told them to do, and it cleansed them. But when Jesus died, he didn't just cleanse us temporarily, the flesh, to get us through another year. He cleansed your conscience. You can't see, but that's what is you. He cleansed you spiritually, not just flesh, not outwardly, but inwardly and forever. And that's why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper or when we're breathing and going through another day, maybe you should pause and say, thank you, thank you. I think every time I pray, I find myself opening up saying, thank you, God, 
for what Jesus didn't deserve it. Romans 5, 8 makes clear. I was a lost, a helped sinner, not interested in God at all, and just died. Eternal redemption because he cleanses the conscience. But I want you to notice one more thing in verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, God the Son, who through the eternal spirit, God the Spirit, offered himself without spot to God the Father. You see the Trinity at work there. God the Father, God the Son, through the Spirit, God the Son offered himself, his blood, to God the Father, saying, Here, Father, the final and the ultimate sacrifice of sins. Let us make man in our image. We are spiritual beings who have to be cleansed by the blood of Christ, offering ourselves the Spirit of God. Here I am, Lord, I'm yours. The Spirit indwells me. I give my life to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells me and dwells us so that we then go out and serve our God, God the Father. Cleanses you from dead works. Notice the end of verse 14, the last phrase. We're cleansed from dead works, just doing religious things to do what? Serve the living God. What's Romans 12, 1 say? I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oxymoron. Sacrifices are dead, but we're not. God says, I want you a living sacrifice. Give me yourself. And then he says, that's your reasonable service of worship. Worship is me saying, God, here I am, body, soul, spirit, a triune being offering myself to a triune God as a living sacrifice set apart unto him because Jesus' blood is pure. Notice 1 Peter 1 on your outline. Knowing you were not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were bought back or redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Third point, Hebrews 9, verse 15. Jesus' blood is powerful. It's powerful. Look at 9, 15. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant we're talking about today by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For the, where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. I want you to notice something, great picture here. Jesus' blood is powerful. You see the word covenant and you see the word testament that's used in this passage. It's the same Greek word. One is talking about spiritually a covenant, the new covenant in his blood, and the other is a legal picture that legally this is what he did for you. Spiritually, he did this for you. Legally, this is you're established in the eyes of God. Because he died, this is what you inherit. For example, I'm the executor of my mother-in-law's estate. I'm also the executor of my aunt's estate. And both of them are in their mid-90s. So there's a good chance in a short period of time, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be executing their estate. And whatever there is, nobody gets anything until they what? Until they die. Please see this picture. It's absolutely beautiful. Look at verse 15. Jesus' covenant is new. He's fulfilling the old, and it's new. Heirs don't get anything until the person who is dying dies. But also, this is really important. Mary and I have a will. And basically our will says this. We don't have anything, but we can have it. To our three children. Well, when my father-in-law, who passed away a year ago, two, I'm sorry. When my father-in-law, years ago, and I don't remember how many years it was, he has two son-in-laws, three son-in-laws, counting me. Two of them live out of town. One lives in St. Louis, one lives in Charleston, South Carolina. I lived, unfortunately, for this story, in Memphis. Because he called me, he said, Randy, I want you. I, don't know, I mean, I was 30, 35, I didn't care. He said, I want you to be the executor of my estate when I die. I said, okay, I got it, don't worry about it. 
Now, years later, I'd love to have Gigi back here so I could punch him. I don't, I'm not looking forward to this moment. But here's what I want you to When he gave me the will, said, here's where it will be, showed it to me, took me, said, put my hand on, said, this is where it will be, this is what it says, this is what I expect you to do when I die. Did he ask me, what would you like me to do, Randy? Did he ask Mary or her 47 brothers, how many brothers you? Did he ask Mary and all her brothers and sisters, there was eight or nine, there's been, there's actually, it doesn't matter, there's a bunch of them. Did he go to them and say, Mary, Charles, Jim, Fred, David, Mildred, Jean, what would you like me to do? Is that what he did? No, he said, this is what I want, and this is the way I want it to be. You see, the one who is giving to the heir decides. God said, this is what I'll give you. You didn't earn it. You're just a child. You'll get it because I love you. I love the way Romans puts it. Romans says we are joint heirs with Christ, not co-heirs. In other words, you don't get a little bit. We're joint heirs with Christ. As believers, when we die, we get it all because of what Jesus not because he did anything, because he earned anything, because God said, this is what I'm going to give to you, the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You get forgiveness, you get cleansing. We're not going to read all the verses I planned on reading today, but I want you to notice something. Look down at verse 24. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. In other words, he didn't go into a physical temple, which are copies of the truth. The physical temple was a picture of what he was going to do. But where did Jesus go? Verse 24, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Wait a minute, I thought he already came for salvation. I want you to make sure you see this point. The power of Jesus' blood. In that passage I just read, the word appear is used three times. And it's used three different ways and in three different tenses. He came, has appeared to put away sin. Past tense. He has appeared to put away sin. Future tense. He will appear a second time. Present tense. He is appearing now. Do you get the picture? We talked about it before. Three tenses of our salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Jesus has appeared. He came and he died on the cross and shed his blood that we might be saved. He is coming back a second time to wrap it all up, take us all home, to be with him forever, to finish our salvation, glorification. And in the interim, it's so encouraging to us. In the interim, as our high priest, what is he doing right now? He is appearing on our behalf for the throne of God. Aren't you glad? I'm glad if not, I'm not having to appear for myself. I wouldn't make it. And I don't need any other advocate. My advocate is God the Son who said it's finished. And every time Satan comes before the Father and it's Randy Lockley, just said, no, that's covered by my blood. That's how powerful it is. My blood, he put away sin so that I might be saved. Notice in your handout, Colossians 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And the last point, and then we're through, is Jesus' blood is permanent. His blood is permanent. We just saw one sacrifice. Look at chapter 10, verse 12, and then we're going to be through. Chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down at the right hand of God. He offered one sacrifice, sins forever. That's it, permanent. Then he sat down. And notice where he sat down, at the right hand of God. Two things I want to say about that. 
The fact that he sat down is a very powerful image, especially in the book of Hebrews, because he's writing to Jews. You see, the high priest, we talked about it several times a day, when he would go into the Holy of Holies, he went in and one day, was not allowed to sit down. There was not even a place for him to sit down. They would tie ropes around his legs, and he had bells on, uh, noisemakers on the bottom of his robe, so if he died, they could drag him out. Nobody else was allowed in there, and he never could sit down. You know why he couldn't sit down? Because his work wasn't. He had to come back next year. What's to tell you about Jesus? Several times the book of Hebrews said he sat down. You know why he sat down? His work was finished. When you celebrate the Lord's Supper, pray. Think about Jesus' blood. You ought to remember how powerful it is. That it's perfect, it's pure, and that it's permanent. It gets the job done. See, what we believe is truth. People free. I was reading a story this week about a college professor. He went to Fiji Island just to examine this tribe. And he noticed that many of them had bec- were listening to these missionaries and had become Christians. And he went up to the elderly chief. He said, I can't believe you're being taken in by the con artists. Nobody believes that Bible stuff and that story is true. And yet here you are following these missionaries. Your people are giving their lives. Don't you understand nobody believes that anymore? And the chief of these Indians or whatever they were on the Fiji Islands said his eyes flashed. And he turned to the guy and he said, you see that stone over there, that big rock? He said, that's where we crushed the head of our enemies. You see that furnace over there? That's where we threw their bodies, what was left of bodies after we were cannibals. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ's blood, you'd be. Jesus Christ changed, gives you eternal life because his blood is what we're going to do today, you bow your head, we're going to pray. Then I'm going to have the ushers come up, and we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we do pause before you now as our God. We thank you, Lord, very simply for truth, because truth sets us free. The truth is there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ, who gave his blood we might live. He gave his blood, and only his blood could save us. Fitting, it was exactly what we needed. So, Lord, I pray and thank you, believers, that we're born again because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here who's not born again, I pray that be their moment to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you shed your blood for me. Please give me, save me. I want to be a Christian. And, Lord, for those of us that are saved, take our Christian life seriously. Live, share him, be excited about the fact that would die in place, that horrific death cross. And as we share communion together, we'd focus on the body. But maybe today, Lord, just even more significant, the blood cleanses us from all. So we would honestly talk to you about where we failed you and thank for that forgiveness in the blood. And Lord, we commit the time to you and Jesus. I'm going to ask the usher to come on down. And as they...